across the galaxy. This is where conspiracy on the wild side meets the perspective of a lifetime. This is the Free Zone with your host, Freeman. Hello and welcome to the Free Zone. Well, tonight we are talking with Joseph Atwell. You may know him as the author of Caesar's Messiah or Shakespeare's Secret Messiah, his two books uh, that absolutely just have an incredible concept that places literary satire into the Gospels and the framework of the hidden history of Western civilization. And if you guys have not gone back and just gone to freemantv.com, Type in at will, A-T-W-I-L-L, into the search on freemantv.com and start with our very first show. And hopefully you're a member so that you get the full hours, two hours of each of these broadcasts. Because let me tell you, I mean, Joe and I have been scarily prescient on this entire scenario. And it's just like, it's crazy to watch it all unfold. I had the, the strangest 1013 of my life. You guys know I have done an annual 1013 show every year, most years. <laughs> All right, I skipped one or two, uh, but I try to get them in there. This year on 1013, I put up my Alex Jones 1013 show, uh, which I, I recorded uh, with Alex Jones in studio on uh, in 2008, right before 1013. And it turned out that right after I did that 1013 broadcast with Alex Jones uh, on 1013 of 2008, that's when Ben Bernanke signed the banker bailout and all that 2008 fallout happened. I predicted it live on Alex Jones. I mean, I just use uh, what I do is I give you guys the symbols and signs that I know. And I don't make predictions as to what's going to occur through these. But just so you can see the sign and symbol. And with the Ben Bernanke signing of the, the banker bailout on 1013, he had refused to sign it on 1012. So, you know, these signs and symbols keep coming up and we're going to get more into that along the way. But I just had to, to open up this way. So, Joseph Atwell, welcome to the Free Zone. <clears throat> Pleasure to be here, Freeman. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you. You and I are definitely simpatico on so many things. For sure. So just to talk about how crazy our world is, just an opening statement, no comments necessary unless you want. But uh, I found this so surreal that I have to share it with my audience. I called up the electric company to find out why my bill had tripled. I mean, I live alone. I, I don't do I don't have any, you know, <laughs> it should be going down is my point. So I uh, I contacted them and it was like, I'm curious as to why my bill has tripled. And she very first question, very first straight faced answer to me. Very first question. She says, well, do you have any smart appliances? Because smart appliances use a lot more electricity, even when they're just plugged in. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Do you want to repeat that just so you can hear it? <laughs> what you just said to me. That's how backwards everything is. They're forcing all of this stuff upon us, saying that it's for this, that, and the other, but everything is backwards. Everything is backwards. It's insane. So I just yeah, had I mean, to throw that in. It's, uh, you know, they maneuver technology into our homes uh, under the pretext that it's to our benefit. And once it's in, it never leaves. And it turns out that it 
spies on us. It steals from us. I mean, I have a smart meter, um, which we fought for quite a while. We couldn't really resist it forever. Um, but I don't trust any of this stuff. I mean, and, and then, of course, if you're using Google or Zoom or any of these, these uh, platforms, you know, you're basically on their grid. Let I me mean, let's face it, the internet is something that was created for uh, government social control and observation, which is part of social control. So when we participate in it, we really need to be aware of that. You know, I mean, it doesn't, uh, the, the, the knowledge of it doesn't really stop me from, you know, talking about things in the way I want to talk about them. But I just feel that, you know, if you get into a conversation with someone and he is taking it into an area that you know is going to, you know, be something that, uh, um, you know, could be seen as illegal. You know, you, you just have to cut him right off. You have to just say, look, you know, you're just wrong to discuss things like this uh, in, in this environment. It's, it's a public, uh, you know, forum. Everyone is uh, uh, watching us. So that's the thing is that uh, we have freedom of speech, but they have uh, freedom of reach. And they can get at us through this thing whenever they want. Absolutely. If you guys don't recall, if you weren't uh, awake and aware back in 2000, uh, I remember when Y2K happened and AOL put out a poll every day when you signed in. And uh, on, on January 1st, 2000, the AOL poll was, would you take a national ID? All right. This was before Homeland Security, before all of that happened. Uh, they were programming that. And I don't know if you remember this, Joe, but when you got your fir very first Skype, uh, it sent you a message, which was a quote from Orwell from 1984 about uh, when Winston discovers that Big Brother is real. Uh, that's the first message everyone got on Skype when you signed up uh, back way yeah, back. They're, they're always big with the symbolism at the onset. I mean, look at uh, CBS, which was really the first national network, uh, William Paley, uh, OSS, intelligence agent, um, somehow cobbled together enough money to be able to create it. And then it puts out as its symbol, the all seeing eye. Well, gee, <laughs> I mean, what is that telling you? You know, so it's, um, and they owned uh, MTV put out yeah. the real world, all of that. Yeah. So it's just, that's our world. They, they, want to control us and in order to do it they have to observe us so we're always being observed one way or another well it is getting dangerous out there and let's bring owen schroyer into this discussion because this is uh, kind of a sign of what's to come for those of us that are out here speaking truth uh, we say we have free speech but owen schroyer's case shows us quite the opposite now if you guys don't know owen schroyer is the host of the war room on Infowars. And he was charged for being at the Capitol on January 6th, this insurrection. Now, we may get into the fact that there is a mob of pro-Hamas people in the Capitol at this moment causing an insurrection. And if you may know that January 6th was not about an armed insurrection, but about allowing Congress to meet on the topic of the stolen election. But since Owen uh, could not be charged for going into the Capitol, which he did not do, 
and he was out there de-escalating the event as him and Alex were standing up there telling everybody not to go in. Uh, they couldn't charge him with any of that, so they listened to his shows for years, of course, and came back and said, well, you're still saying the election was stolen, so you're showing no remorse. Uh, we're giving you two months in jail. So he turns himself in on October 24th, just a few days. And uh, then at that very moment, just a couple days ago, Owen woke to a bill from the IRS for $300,000, claiming that he had paid his taxes all this time. And that is his actual net worth, that if they do get this $300,000 and the bill is due the day he goes to jail. So Owen is claiming, as rightfully so, that he is being imprisoned for free speech because it, the court case absolutely is him being charged for saying that he believed the election was rigged and uh, for not even entering the Capitol. They couldn't get him on any of that. So they are coming after those of us that are speaking out and especially the most popular I mean, I got banned right alongside of Alex Jones, but nobody really noticed how much banning I got because uh, all the were, were, you know, views were on Alex. But here I was, I was, you know, I got slammed off of YouTube, um, you know, Facebook, all of it, guys. You know, I'm banned everywhere. I put my video on, uh, on with Greg Reese and they banned me off Vimeo. Uh, you know, this is what's happening. And the next is imprisonment. And of course, we're looking at also the Oath Keepers that are getting 22 years, and they're even talking about extending those dates. And one of those guys wasn't even at the Capitol. And uh, this whole script is flipped because these people had shown up at the Capitol to make sure that the uh, hearings were not disrupted. That was the point of being there, was to make sure that the, uh, the, the meeting continued. And they made it out to sound like, uh, you know, they had come there to storm and, and disrupt. But currently at this very moment, there is a mob at the Capitol disrupting everything, causing exactly everything that they said that the J6ers did. But we know that these pro-Hamas protesters are not going to face any sort of jail time. So I just thought I needed to uh, cover that today with you, Jerry. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, the First Amendment is really uh, the enemy of the oligarchs at the moment because of the independent media. It wasn't um, something that had to be attacked in the 1950s and 60s because there just wasn't any use of the First Amendment that was meaningful. Um, but now it's it really is the, uh, the protective umbrella of uh, something that could actually uh, expose the truth of, of uh, who, who runs the country and the ways they run it um, to the public. And so you know, over the last couple of years, we've just seen one instance after another where the First Amendment is attacked. And, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with that gentleman's case. Um, I know in 1-6 in general, um, the, the cases that I've looked at, they're all protected by the First Amendment. I, I mean, there are a few examples of, of uh, violence, and not to people, but to property. Um, but those individuals, as best I can tell, weren't actually charged or caught for some reason. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so then, you have, then you have the entrapment issue of like how many uh, federal agents were in the crowd. Uh, I know that the FBI issued a statement that they weren't able to track how many they had in there. They lost count for some reason. 
I mean, this doesn't fill you with a lot of confidence, you know. Um, so there was a, there was also this entrapment issue. But beyond that, I just think that there was entrapment even at the onset. Um, I think that the QAnon kind of buildup of the potential for overturning the election and that Trump had a cohort inside of government, these white hats that were going to, you know, come forward and, uh, you know, save the day. I always thought that was, uh, well, incorrect and uh, untrue. I thought that was just a psyop, a distraction to take people into a, a place where they could easily be controlled. And, and, and I thought that the capital was, in fact, where the control would be exerted. And you'd end up with a situation where they could charge them with insurrection. Um, you know, this is wrong on so many levels. I mean, it, an insurrection is a technical word. Nothing like an insurrection occurred. Um, and everything that was going on was certainly being promoted either by the, um, the agents that the government had in, inside the crowd or by the Capitol Police themselves who are opening doors and letting these people in. So the idea this is an insurrection is ludicrous. And, and I really, what, what I, I've done quite a few podcasts about this. And what I say <clears throat> is that it's really um, simply a, a broad, intimidating propaganda uh, specifically against uh, European males, that they would have the understanding that uh, they don't really have any um, power inside of this democracy, so-called democracy. That um, you know that they would they have they were given information indicating the election was rigged. They were brought to the Capitol to protest. <clears throat> then they were arrested in violation of their First Amendment rights. A lot of them were imprisoned, but all of this is broadly symbolic so that henceforth, <coughs> if you feel that the elections, you know, going forward were also stolen, you won't say anything. You'll be intimidated and, and rightly so, you know, because the government did not, in this instance, uh, defend the First Amendment or, and it was, uh, you know, dictatorial. And I would point out that, you know, the idea of, of insurrection is, in, in this process is quite ludicrous if you consider the fact that if Pence had simply said, you know, I, I really can't certify this. I feel that there's enough evidence that the, there, there is irregularity in the voting process. I want the state legislations to, 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 to take over the decision-making of the next president. Now, if he had done that, um, where's the insurrection, right? I mean, it disappears because suddenly the, uh, the, 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 the side that is, you know, basically benefiting from the legal process would have power. These people would suddenly become, you know, patriots. And, and as the, uh, the truth about the election would be and its irregularities would be revealed, then, you know, they would, they would suddenly, these would be the, you know, the, for the patriots that the QAnon, uh, you know, activity was, uh, was indicating that they would be. So, you know, it, I, I really think, Freeman, that that was a theatrical production, tip to stern. I think that um, it was done for propaganda purposes, and, the, and the, the purpose of the propaganda is to intimidate. It's to give the general impression, particularly to uh, European males, who I think it was the, the propaganda was aimed at, 
that um, that they don't have any power in uh, inside the democracy any longer. Um, and uh, you know, so that that's that's how I saw one six. It was uh, it was unfortunate. It was uh, that that people actually were led astray. Um, not that they, you know, didn't have sort of the right to protest, but that they didn't understand that in a broad in the broad stroke, this was obviously a setup. I, I was actually the week before I was trying to get people not to go. I was saying, look, this is just so obvious a setup. Why would you go there and expose yourself for something that you can see it's just going to uh, uh, collapse and end up, uh, you know, badly for you? But anyway, it, it, it occurred. And now, you know, they'll have the uh, insurrection meme anytime uh, someone protests an irregular election going forward. We're going to have to find ways to overcome that. Absolutely. And I was doing the same thing uh, December, right before January of 2020. I put out a show about what had happened in 1999 with the WTO IMF protest in Portland. Right. Uh, the riot, the Portland riots that uh, how they were laid out and how they were planned and uh, how all of that went. And then how amazing it was that there was independent media. That was one of the very first occurrences where we could witness everything that was going on from our laptops. And uh, we, you know, I knew more of what happened to the people in Portland than the people that lived it. And we were able to witness all of the shenanigans and uh, the, the, you know, the guys running around breaking the windows and, and the fact that the police were attacking the, the innocents. And then when it came to Washington, D.C., I decided to go put my face in front of the rubber bullets and see what happens. So I showed up for D.C. for that WTO IMF protest, and that was in the year 2000, guys. Um, and they, they, the first thing they did was arrest the people that got the permit for the protest. Because huh. yeah. <laughs> I was in on that group. I'd shown up early. I stayed there for the whole time. But I I narrowly missed being arrested. Two sets of riot squads blocked off an entire block and just trapped whoever was in, in the middle there. And I just happened to be a few minutes ahead of them. So I didn't get blocked in there. But they had, uh, you know, children, old ladies, Japanese tourists, anyone that was walking there. It wasn't the day of the protest. It was the day before the protest. And they took these 600 people that they had corralled and the other thousands of us on the other side yelling at them and all these riot squads just standing there and they were preparing to just haul these people away 600 of them for parading without a permit and they all got charged 50 bucks a head for doing that so they made a quick 30 grand off of them brought them down to this dank horrible underground parking lot and, and just let them all sit there for 13 hours while they processed them one at a time no bathrooms, no nothing, you know, pregnant women, old ladies, everything, and zip tied into these school buses. And when they ran out of school buses, they were using city buses. And I just watched this all happen. And as I, I watched this, the, the security force, the, the riot squads that were standing there holding them and their lieutenant who was standing out there, I was yelling at them about their first rights and their second rights and any of the rights that these guys were violating. And they wouldn't even look at me. And so then I decided to get a little crafty and I yelled out, how many of you are widow's sons? And every head in that riot line turned my direction. Yeah. 
Oh my God. They understand uh, the symbolism of that, don't they? Yeah, they knew. I mean, they ignored me every other moment, but boy, I brought up Freemasonry. You know, guys, if you don't know, Widow's Son is code for Freemason. And they all looked at me. But I could see clearly that, you know, this was all just a ruse and that it did nothing at all, right? After the, this massively, you know, million people, peaceful protest, parties in the streets of DC, 55 blocks of the city shut down with all of these people. And then I go and watch the news and all I see is violence. And I didn't see a lick of violence the entire time I was there. I don't even know how the film crew got violence on camera. You know, it just wasn't happening. So I was I was witness to all of this from the Portland event and having the mass independent media to be able to see it all to actually experiencing the event in D.C. myself uh, that I knew uh, don't go to the Capitol on January 6th, guys. You know, this is all a big setup and it doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help. So there you have it. Well, I mean, we're, we're just in this process. Um and I know a lot of times people become discouraged and they think, well, you know, the oligarchs are wiping us out and we'll be extinct shortly. You know, um, <clears throat> I disagree. I think actually things are looking good. Um, if you you have to be old, though, to see the actual transformation like my like me, um, you know, from 1950 to now, there has just been an extraordinary transformation in, in the uh, consciousness of the uh, European and American public. And what has occurred is that we've gone from a dumbed down, sort of like completely trusting collection of individuals to one now that has a fraction of it, meaningful fraction, that is skeptical. Now, the skepticism is growing. It grew dramatically during the COVID, um, you know, lockdowns and vaccine mandates. Um, that was actually a huge benefit for the independent media and for the skeptical uh, movement that's occurring because people could see that the government was just lying and and that it's dangerous and so that they started to begin to think about the reality the pixelated reality that the government gives us the media and they started questioning you know things just be, beyond uh, like the COVID vaccine um, here in California there's been a there's been a dramatic decline in just the overall vaccine uptake. Um, uh, from uh, from the population because it, it the skepticism has spread out and I I think just based on you know my small slice of uh, understanding the world that um, the skepticism is really growing everywhere at this point um, I think that uh, is an example you know you have the uh, the Gaza uh, invasion of Israel. Um, immediately, within like 24 hours, there was, you know, people indicating that uh, there, there was details that were inexplicable. The inexplicable details, which, you know, say during the JFK assassination, um, are all, were overlooked by the population, right? They just didn't have the, the grammar or the, the thinking skills to, to see things that were being told them as inexplicable. But now when inexplicable you know, details are given immediately. People start questioning, uh, you know, well, is the narrative real or is it social control? What is really in back of it? And they start becoming skeptical. And, you know, in Gaza, you have what I call just a really bad Chuck Norris movie, right? <laughs> They're Where coming in with their, their gliders. Yeah, and then, then a rave party, you know. I mean, this is ludicrous. Um, anyone who knows 
the details of the um, Israeli border security and internal controls inside of Gaza. And there's there's a, actually one there's great you know great books written. Uh, Lowenstein, Australian Jewish guy, wrote a book about uh, um, Gaza as an experiment for social control, and he talks about the technology that the Israelis have inside there to observe everything. Um, there have been whistleblowers that have come forward since the so-called invasion. Um, there are uh, who are former Israeli, what they were, you know they're called border guards, but actually they're just technological observers, and they have they have just been very forthright and said, look, you couldn't get a cat, a cat across the border between Gaza and Israel without us knowing about it. And without there being a detailed response, a cat. And this isn't a metaphor. I mean, they're literally saying, no, nah, we saw every little animal that went across. They had the entire thing videotaped. And of course, now with AI, they don't even need to have, you know, like 5,000, uh, you know, Israeli operatives staring at the TV screens like this woman was saying she did. You can just have pretty much the whole thing just covered by computers. So they have the, the border, certainly completely under control. You're not going to get tractors across it or fly hang gliders across guys with machine guns. I mean, this is just, like I said, it's a bad Chuck Norris movie. It's not anything that has anything to do with history. Um, so, you know, you, you have um, now the skepticism is starting to creep, you know, like people are going, well, if it's a false flag, you know, who is involved with it? You know, and this is where it gets important because, you know, I, I, like many other um, you know, pundits in the independent media pointed out, look, Hamas was created by Israel. This isn't some kind of organization that sprang up from you know, the Palestinian people, even from Muslims. It was flat out created and funded by Israel. So they maintain that, well, yeah, because they, they were actually absolutely caught doing this. There, there was no way they could go sideways. They admitted it. A number of their you know, generals and social control people said, yeah, we, we did it. Um, they, they said, well, we wanted a, a you know, a, a, something to counterbalance the PL, PLO. So we created Hamas. But then they say, well, it, you know, it, there's blowback. Somehow it gained its independence and became, uh, you know, an independent uh, Islamic controlling entity inside of Gaza. Well, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. How did that happen? When did you lose control? Who, who was, how did this rebellion take place inside an organization that you're funding, right? I mean, so this, this is something that's inexplicable, just like the uh, uh, tractors coming across the Gaza you know, uh, border or the hang gliders. I mean, these are inexplicable details which make no sense in the narrative that's being given to us. But if you look at it in the context of a false flag and <clears throat> the Gaza government being controlled opposition, then suddenly you end up with a narrative that's perfectly logical. And this, this is the process that I think is really going on now is that the narratives that are given for propaganda, as you know, Freeman, are just a pack of lies, right? So, but the, the hospital still stands and no yeah, babies were beheaded. Lies. And so you, you, you look for, with all liars, the, the inexplicable um, supporting details to prop up something that is unreal. And in this case, the idea that, you know, Hamas, um, you know, would, would sanction something 
which is basically suicidal to the right, public. Exactly. It's like 10 going against 10,000, you know, like, hey, what's... And, and then what I, and what, you know, what I've been telling people is that Hamas is obviously illegitimate because of the foreign policy of violence. It uses violence as one of its, as its, as far as the world sees it, as its primary foreign policy. Launches off little rockets that land nowhere inside of Israel. Uh, no one has ever hurt. Um, and this is, you know, just ridiculous because then Israel always is able to say, well, we're just responding, you know, to violence and we're trying to protect ourselves. Um, so <clears throat> I always say that, excuse me, <clears throat> my voice is a little, I just got back from Mexico and I got a cold down there. But anyway, I'll, I, I, I always say, look, the way you can tell Hamas is illegitimate is that the foreign policy is obviously self-destructive. Moreover, there is a foreign policy that would be overwhelming successful. It would just be unstoppable. It would, it would change the entire way the world viewed the, the conflict and, and the genocide of the Palestinian people. All they would have to do is take the actual letters that were written by the Zionists before World War II, which are in public domain. These are in public domain. There's a great book, um, Expulsion of the Palestinians by Nur Mursala. And he's collected a whole bunch of these, these letters. And if the foreign policy of, of Gaza, of Hamas, would just be, look, we are going to use Gandhi as our model. We are going to be completely nonviolent because we know we obviously can't militarily defeat the Israelis. And every time we shoot one of our little missiles that lands like in the sand and blows up a few ants, they come back and bomb us in our hospitals and our children. So we're not going to do that. But we are going to use Gandhi as the model, and we are just going to appeal to the conscience of all of the world to look at the reality of the situation, which we think has been distracted, has been blurred by this so-called cycle of violence. So we're just going to stop that. And they could read things like, um, and I mean... I mean, we could spend the rest of the time. I could just read letter after letter, but let me just give you like, this is just like a taste. I'm just going to pick one from out. It goes, um, now this was from uh, David Hakohen. Um, he was the head of the Hebrew labor in uh, the 20s. Very big, big, big guy in terms of Zionism. And he's exchanging letters with Ben-Gurion, right? And so here, let me just listen so you can see the moral perspective. He goes, uh, I would not accept Arabs in my trade union, the Hisdratut. Um, to defend preaching to housewives that they not buy at Arab stores, to prevent Arab workers from getting jobs there, to pour kerosene on Arab tomatoes, to attack Jewish households in the market and smash Arab eggs they had bought. Um, um, we we um, will buy the land from the Arabs and not sell a single acre back to them. That is prohibited. Now, that's really a charming multicultural perspective, isn't it, you know? Right. Um, and, and let me tell you, what, what is really chilling is when you read the letters where they, they say there is no moral issue with the expulsion and the violence toward the, this is, I mean, I, I am very familiar with sort of, uh, you know, well, I'm not very, but I, I have spent a lot of time studying, you know, the onset of the Nazi party. I have a, a, a paper called the Freemason invention of the Nazi party. Uh, so I know 
quite a bit about the the information concerning you know the actual details of this. The, I, I'm not familiar with anything that is as cold blooded in their literature, with a few exceptions. Then the stuff that you read in in, in this, you read stuff like um, Nancy. This is from Golda Meir. Freeman, this is Golda Meir. This is a woman who incidentally, right, Golda had a passport for over 20 years, a Palestinian passport. So she can't really very well claim that, uh, you know, this is a country without a people. She had a pa Palestinian passport. She goes, um, I too want all the Arabs out of the country and my conscience would be absolutely clear. But is there a possibility of the implementation without Arab consent and British assistance. Gee, I wonder what the British assistance would be, you know? So this is the thing is that this is kind of what, what you're dealing with. And, and believe me, I, this is not something that I think is, uh, is a complete picture of the Jewish people. I think to a large extent, they are as manipulated as anyone, right? They, they see the world through the propaganda of the oligarchs, just like Gentiles do. And that's one of the reasons, like I, I actually do a podcast from time to time in Israel. And I, I really say, you know, look, one important component here of, of the information revolution is Jews. You guys really need to step up and look inside of the political class of Israel to see how the oligarchs control that, how the propaganda comes to you. One of the problems, of course, is that the religion has, um, you know, the, the Torah, the Talmud. There's so many hooks that they can attach to their thinking. Um, you know, folkloric, glorious depictions of battles against, you know, the Jebusites and things like this. That And the chosen people uh, stories, you know, that it really does make it easy for uh, the, the, you know, righteous Jews to be manipulated. But I honestly believe that <clears throat> if the Palestinians would simply adopt the Gandhi approach and just say, look, we, we have the goods here. We, we can show the world that when they came, when the Zionist movement came uh, in force to Israel in the 1890s, 1900, 1910, that this was, the, this was what was morally occurring there. It was conscious genocide of the Palestinians. They were not here to set up a two-party, you know, or a two-nation two homeland. They were, they were here to kick us out, and they were going to use force to do it, and so this is what has happened. And if they would just, if, if they didn't have Hamas, and they didn't have the Arab terrorist boogeyman as a concept, you know, in the minds of, of so many people uh, who are, you know, European and American, then this message would would come right through. So this is what I'm. This is I think this is an example of how fake the Hamas uh, government is. That they would use this picayune violence, which just creates the the pretext for the Israelis to depopulate, as is occurring now, um, when they have a, an immediate alternative that would be successful. If the letters, if these letters were actually linked up to the events, you know, of, of the last, uh, you know, 80 years in, in Palestine, the world would turn, the world would say, you know, this is wrong. And, and that would be the force that could actually um, create some, uh, you know, human living conditions for the Palestinians.
Absolutely. Uh, I don't see how these two could ever live together. And I don't see how any of this, you know, will work out. And But I see that in sort of, instead of just coming in and militarily taking a, a, a totalitarian view and just taking over the earth, right, with the military, like they, any, you know, like, say, America could, uh, or all the global elites, right? They, they need the narrative. They have to write history so that the history books then later show the, the reasons for this, and then they can use it against uh, the people, just like Hitler, right? Like Hitler, when he started, the man of the people, giving TVs to everyone, Volkswagen in every yard, and uh, took, you know, supposedly ran out the Rothschilds out of there in Austria, and everybody was getting wealthy, and, and the country was, you know, having massive re re-infrastructure and all the things going on and then world war ii comes along and the nazis become uh you know the worst thing since uh anything since the devil like i don't think that there's ever been a, a villain as uh, vilified as the nazis uh as as the devil not that i'm i'm standing by it i'm just saying that it's the narrative that was needed to be created for this moment right now you know absolutely and incidentally just not to you know, I mean, I, I will just point out that any listener can just Google uh, the Freemason invention of the Nazi Party, and you can look at my analysis showing where the Nazi Party comes from. It comes from British Freemasonry. I mean, just absolutely clear-cut, here are the characters, here are all the individuals, here's how Hitler comes into power. Here is the process that goes back to, like, 1870 that... Every single part of the Nazi party, all the symbols, the financing, the military philosophy, the anti-Semitism, all of this is being inserted into a German culture um, by a group that it creates um, using Blavatsky primarily. Um, but as she passed away, others, um, you know, there's a, like a really important quote, uh, Dietrich Erkhart, you know, on his deathbed. Uh, he's the one who Hitler dedicated Mein Kampf to, um, second volume, one of like three people I think he dedicated it to. But he was a huge, he was the one who actually bought Hitler a trench coat, showed him how to talk. You know, he was, he was a huge controller of, of Hitler. And, and he wrote, or said on his deathbed, it was written down, recorded. He said, you know, don't cry for me. I'm the one who really will, you know, like have the influence in history because I'm the one who um, showed uh, Hitler, um, Blavatsky, and the secret doctrine. I'm the one. And so, you know, Hitler was just the, the end result of this, which, and of course, the Theosophical Society is a tip to stern annex of Freemasonry. It's, there's just no, you know, that I show is just a blood bite cinch. So um, he's being controlled and created. Um, the creation of Hitler is kind of fascinating. I mean, just to digress, uh, it's Ludendorff. You know, Ludendorff was the dictator of Germany during the uh, catastrophic era of, of World War One, where the German population was reduced so dramatically in that absolutely insane and stupid war. Um, Ludendorff was the, the guy in charge. Following the war, um, he, he said that he was looking for a messianic puppet, someone that he could control. And he claimed to have been looking in the Bavarian mountains for a redhead red-haired teenage girl. That's absolutely true. He says, I want a, just a mindless, red-head kind of racial symbol 
that uh, can lead the uh, German people. <laughs> but he couldn't find her. So I couldn't find her. And uh, this guy worked for him and says, well, you know, I got this guy, uh, Hitler. Well, what about him? <laughs> and that's, that's how then Hitler. And then so then they sent him to the Workers' Party meeting. And, and guess who's, where they're waiting for him? Dietrich Erkart, who says that he's been waiting for the, um, uh, what's the name of the Messianic leader that the Theosophical, uh, the Messianic, Mes, Mes, some, some Theosophical Society word, excuse me. But so he goes, I, I know who this guy is, he's the Messiah. So the whole thing is ridiculous. It's just an obvious creation of a puppet um, of the Masonic forces that had brought about World War I and now are also in play to finish the job of the catastrophic German people. You know, they're going to get wiped out. Um, Hitler comes in um, and uh, says, you know, we got to fight down to the last German. Uh, he's against Churchill and Stalin. And they say, yeah, that's right. We've, you know, forget about the, caring about the populations. We're just going to firebomb everything and just you know, so everybody there in political power wants to reduce the population of Germans. And let's not forget that's Churchill and Stalin and, and yeah, Roosevelt, all 33rd degree. All, they're all of one mind. It's got to be total war. They're so all Freemasons. Yeah. They're all Masons. And so then you get uh, you get the, uh, you know, the, the conclusion um, where, you know, you have all of the starvation because of the, all the trains have been destroyed. The food production has been destroyed. You have all these starvations, and so then in the camps, when the Allies come in, you get the pictures of all these bodies, thousands of bodies. Well, yeah, this is uh, this is a result of no food, and um, and they they then take the photographs and then make the meme that it was specific against the Jews, right? Because they want to like uh, basically they want to hurl the same charge against the Germans that is uh, made in the Gospels, where you know, they say, well, you know, you crucified Christ and and the blood will be on your hands and on your children's hands. So here um, the group says, now we're, we're going to like an eye for an eye here. Let's do the same thing in reverse. And then you get the, um, uh, you know, the ludicrous uh, gas chamber um, meme. Uh, the, if people, you know, this is kind of, I'm, I'm sure for you, it isn't, you know, you're familiar with this stuff, but people should go like, um, Ron Unz, N-U-Z, a righteous guy. He has uh, um, Butz's book, uh, the, the Hoax of the 20th Century, which is, it was written, you know, gee, it was like in the 70s, I think. But it's still just an absolutely irrefutable and, and, and just critical piece of information. People really should, should start, you know, I would say there with uh, the Hoax of the 20th Century that Butz wrote. And... And, you know, you can have that information available at Thanksgiving dinners, you know, so you can explain to people that when they talk about, well, you know, the, the Germans, uh, you know, they, they use the gas chambers <coughs> and then, excuse me, and, um, and, then cre cre and then cremated them so we, there's no physical evidence. Um, you know, and, and of course, the, the camps in the West, the camps that were under Allied control, that were the first ones where the rumor about atrocities against Jews and, and mass extermination occurred, that's all disappeared. That all fell by the board because there was, you know, basically too much forensic evidence. You know, Dachau, the, these camps, they, they said, no, well, it wasn't there. It was in the East. 
It was in the camps that the Soviet Union took control over. It was Auschwitz, Treblinka, you know. Um, but but one thing people should just as you know as a, just a matter of fact they should understand is that they actually know. Well, well first of all, they had to have crematoriums. I'm kind of long winded here, but I'll just wrap it up. They they had to have crematoriums because they had so much typhus, so many infectious diseases, and just out and out deaths. Right? I mean they have hundreds of thousands of people, there's deaths, old people, sick people, a lot of dying. They can't, there's no room to bury them. So they, cre they cremate them. So the crematoriums are real, but they weren't for, um, specifically for, you know, certainly for genocidal, you know, ideas about the Jews. But because they have the data of how many deaths occurred, like, you know, in camps that are known to not be uh, death camps, and how many crematoriums that were, say, for example, in Auschwitz, they could simply compare, um, well, per, per capita of death, of expected death, without any sort of systematic extermination program, um, well, which camp has more crematoriums? And it turns out that Auschwitz, which, was, which is regarded as the big death factory, had less per capita for the death rate that it was experiencing. And these are numbers that are hard numbers. They actually have death, death numbers for two of the years, so they know what Auschwitz was going to experience. And they, they point out that, well, this whole idea about you could somehow jam like several million people into these crematoriums. I, I mean, it's just, this is preposterous. It just read, read Butts's, um, uh, you know, his analysis. I, it's just clear cut. It's never been refuted, nor will it ever be. And it just shows you that Freeman, we've been, um, you know, it's like 911. Look at that, look at that narrative, right? You know, buildings, collapse straight down free fall speed you know uh, passports end up of the terrorists end up on the sidewalk things like this it, it the the thing that has to happen and this is i mean i'm going to praise you like i always do i always try to throw this in because i'm a big fan <laughs> the thing that has to happen and you know this is and hopefully your audience is too is that when you when you get these inexplicable things you can't just accept the government's explanation you have to think about it when they when they talk about well you know we're we're gonna like cremate several million Jews in this in this camp, you have to look at the arithmetic of this. Well, how many crematoriums do they have? What is the normal death rate of the camp? Is is there capacity to do this? When when the building seven falls straight down at free fall speed, is that something that has ever happened before? Is it possible to happen without controlled demolition? And now you've got the, the Gaza, this business where... Seven-hour stand-down. Yeah, five-hour stand-down of the Israeli army. I mean, what? What? This is inexplicable. The, the, the explanation makes no sense. How does it make sense? Well, yes, you know, and listen to Freeman. I mean, as, a, as, a, as a false flag and a narrative to bamboozle people into accepting genocide which let's face it is always kind of at the at, now there's there's money of course like you know the 1031 stuff but you know you you've a uh, 1013 but but there is also um just depopulation and so there's always got to be a bamboozling you know when when you get into like the the wars that that's respond by by 911 and when you get into the current situation in Gaza, you've got to have the little bit of song and dance bamboozlement. So they got the Chuck Norris movie, 
with, I mean, I, I swear, when, when, I, when I heard the reports, and I know humans are dying, and I just, you know, a regular guy felt terrible, but I laughed when I heard the story because I knew, I said, man, who is the scriptwriter? I mean, this, this could not be like, you know, Charlie's Angels would, would, would throw this out as not being believable, you know? Yes. So it's just stupid. Um, they, they bamboozle us with this stuff. You know, the current thing is on the hospital, you know, or the, the explosion. And they talk about, well, maybe, you know, the Palestinians launched the thing. And, and you go, well, maybe. I mean, who knows? Well, it's very possible. But then you look at the pictures and you go, well, there's this odd thing. All of the roofs of the cars are smashed down, straight down. Now, how could force that could crush the roofs, right, top down, straight down, not move the car sideways if it's coming from the side. <laughs> well, right. it can't. But if it's coming from straight down, then it, then obviously all the physical evidence makes sense. But this is an air burst bomb. It's air burst, probably thermobaric, if you know what that is. It's probably temperature, lethality. Um, that, that's my judgment. I'm not an emissions guy, but that's what I would I would guess it is. It's a thermobaric bomb, but it's certainly air burst. Because that's where all the energy is coming from, straight down. And, um, you know, the Palestinians don't have that technology. They don't have the, they need it. That, that stuff can only come from airplanes. Again, it has to do with missiles, you know, the, the angle and, and the, this, the speed that the thing is, is approaching the target with has to be carefully controlled. So it's got to be a bomb from a jet. Palestinians don't have an air force. So, again, it's inexplicable by the storyline that, you know, is being spun but I would, I would just say that the hospital, tragic, it's just another component of genocide, right? right. Um, and it's very distracting because the independent media was getting close, I think, to really getting some traction, right? I mean, you could see that a lot, that, like particularly the Israelis, the whistleblowers are coming forward and saying, hey, why did we stand down for five hours? There are there Israelis, right, coming forward and going, hey, we stood down for five hours. I mean, what's going on? The Israeli um, border uh, experts who are saying, you can't get a tractor across. You couldn't hang glide. I mean, it's not possible. We have got surveillance that is ironclad, ironclad. They cannot get through it without our knowing it. Well, then it's inexplicable. Then what is the explanation? Well, you know, false flag is the explanation. Well, let me get to these thoughts before we run out of our hour yeah. here. Yeah. Um, right along with what you're saying in this idea that that nothing is real except the deaths yeah and so when 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 maui happened and most of us believe it was directed energy weapons of some sort from somewhere nobody really knows i mean there was a china satellite right over it who knows uh, they did uh, do the laser test of topography uh, right before all of this from China and a, and a satellite. So, uh, but here's the point. Uh, thousands dead or missing in Maui, right? Nearly the first reports of the war with Israeli uh, forces in Gaza, uh, we're looking at 1,100 on either side, right? So about 2,200 deaths. Uh, we had the same if not more of missing or dead people in Maui, but there's no outrage. 
All right. There were 40,000 people that died in the Morocco earthquake, but no outrage because we see these as natural occurrences and there's no villain. There's nobody to stand on, no flag to put up on your profile pic. So even though 2,000 children have not shown up for school in Maui, we, we don't hear about this anymore. Uh, the, the numerous dead, whatever happened, right? They spent $3 million on the, the fence to fence everybody out of Lahaina, you know? But nobody got their houses back. I don't think anybody got any money from Oprah and the Rock. Uh, and yet there's no outrage over this because there's no villain to vilify. There's no flag to throw on your banner. There's nothing to state uh, like uh, what is going on as we now have all of these uh, Palestinian marches going on in America. Um, there's just uh, Maui is forgotten, you know, or even Morocco and the earthquake, because the we know these weapons exist, the earthquake weapons, the, the directed energy weapons, the weather weapons, the geomodifying, all of that. We're, we're, we're well aware of it, but yet we still can't even point a finger at a villain. So it just blows by as if nothing happened. And Maui's just not even in the collective consciousness anymore at this point. It, it, it's crazy to me how uh, the, well the said, narrative well shifts. Said, Raymond, it's so sad. Um, you know, the, the, the moments, the events that are clear enough that we can increase skepticism, increase, you know, the analytic, uh, you know, power of the citizen... We really have to take advantage of those because because all of the victims deserve us to respond, you know, to 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 honor their their death with the, an effort, an honest effort to try to prevent this from being the future for mankind, you know. So, yeah, the the situation in Maui, um, it's just stinks. And um, I remember when a few years ago, Santa Rosa. Uh, they had fires there. Um, notice, notice the name, you know, Rosie Cross. You know, um, they had fires there that I just thought were just too obvious of, of directed energy um, to be overlooked. Media doesn't pick up on it. Um, the Maui situation now with the missing children—that's all been forgotten. It's just swept away. Where are the kids? Well, I guess they got unlucky. And where uh, are the upset parents? You know, well, they probably exist, but they're controlled. They're intimidated. There's a process to to deal with them and to keep their story out. Of course, mainstream media will not touch it, but it's up to you know people like you. I mean, you you've been bearing the brunt of all this for 20 years, for God's sake, or more. Um, and and it is having a result, but we cannot hope to be successful every time because some of the the weapons are not really well understood. I mean, the, the Gaza um, hospital bombing is just a small example of that, where just to understand the nature of the, of the explosion requires a little bit of, you know, kind of thinking and things. Otherwise, you're, you are, are, it's harder for you to see through um, the falseness of the story that's being given, you know, that, that this could be possibly a Palestinian weapon. You know, it's just, you, you can see it's ludicrous if you actually have if you're on guard and you have some of the grammar to be able to, you know, process this event with, but in Maui, because um, directed energy weapons are just not really something that people will understand that you can get this huge cohort of missing kids and it's not front page every single day. 
you know, all I can say is, is that with the events that we have that we can make, you know, clarity from, we just really have to try to, um, uh, you know, expand the power of, of the group, uh, that, that has been created by the independent media. And even though I know sometimes people get discouraged, I go, look, you had to be in America in the 50s and 60s to see how far we've come. You just had to have been there. You, you don't understand it. Because these, these things are so incremental, Freeman. Um, it, it feels like, well, there's no progress being made. There is tremendous progress being made. Yes. And I think it, out, of the, um, out of the mandates, the vaccine mandates, um, I mean, I think we're, we're getting close to having a, like basically a political party that can organize itself. Uh, and it, this will happen. This will happen. And hopefully in my lifetime, which I mean is getting less and less likely, but that's only because I'm so old, not because uh, it isn't going to happen in, 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 in the short term future. So the thing is, um, it, it, the, all of these things, you know, the things we understand the things that we cannot get people to understand, the things which are inexplicable, all of these things just have to be energizing to us. You know, we have to go, you know, uh, the, the story that we're given about reality is propaganda for a group that is evil. This is just the world we live in. They have been able to create a sense of history in, in almost every single human. That sense of history is, in general, a propaganda device for social control. We are breaking free of it and we are going to accelerate that process. That's everybody, everybody right now is reading that Albert Pike letter to Mazzini. Yeah. And now with yeah. your work that you were talking about with Freemasonry and the origins of Nazis, that makes even more sense that Mazzini or that uh, Albert Pike's letter could have been written in the 1800s and still mention the Nazis. Of course. Uh, I mean, like, look, Mazzini was uh, he was a guy battling with um, Garibaldi. He was battling they were they were battling against the the, the Pope's army in Italy. Manzini was uh, you know an so-called Italian nationalist and of course huge Freemason. Um, but he sent Garibaldi uh, basically back to London to meet with the, the uh, uh, Quattro Coronati, you know the Freemason Lodge there which, basically spawns both Zionism and, uh, and the Nazi party. And uh, he brought with him uh, this crackpot uh, kind of Freemason annex, Memphis and Mizram. Okay, so Garibaldi and Manzini, they're thick as thieves. Garibaldi shows up and he brings with him this woman. And she is a Masonic zealot, a mad dog. At the Battle of Montana, she was shot twice with bullets and also her arm was almost severed with a um a sword blow and think like about blavatsky and it's blavatsky he brings blavatsky with her she's still wearing the red shirt she hasn't even taken it off she's wearing the red shirt that the masonic army wore this of course becomes the black shirt and the brown shirt but <clears throat> so she's wearing the red shirt and then and then Garibaldi's got this crackpot of annex of Freemason, which he says is just an ancient, you know, kind of a version of, it's a part of Freemasonry, but uh, it comes from Egypt. And I'm bringing it here to London for some reason, Memphis and Mizram. And if you look at the Theosophical Society, 
um, and I show this in uh, in the article, uh, Freemason Invention of the Nazi Party. At the beginning, first decade, um, Memphis and Mizram and the Theosophical Society are the same thing. It's not a different organization. It's the same exact organization, right? And it's run by Vavatsky, the uh, the mad dog, um, you know, uh, Garibaldi Masonic zealot, you know, who claimed that she was in the Himalayas, like, you know, stirring her navel, becoming enlightened. But actually, she was in Italy battling uh, the, the, Catholics, the Catholics, trying to destroy them so that... Uh, the Masons could set up, a, you know, the Italian state. Anyway, she's the one then who then starts, you know, with, of course, the full funding of the, uh, uh, of the Freemason, uh, you know, uh, the, that, that she could start the process by which the Nazi party is developed. And, of course, the Quattro Coronati, which gives her the Masonic diploma, which I, I have in the article, I show all this, like, they give her the Masonic diploma so she can, you know, has all unlimited money. They're also doing Zionism. Um, so like Charles Warren is one of the founders of the Quattro Coronati. Uh, he was also the sheriff of London who handled the uh, Jack the Ripper case. You know, it's kind of as an aside. Um, so Warren is one of these, the proto-Zionists, which Freeman, no one knows about. I mean, when I started when I started bringing the proto-Zionism idea to the public, I, I was having historians like emailing me saying I was out of my mind. You know, I mean, um, the, the the guys who really uncovered all this were the LaRouche scholars, um, really good scholars, Steinberg and uh, Anton Chaikin, uh, Jewish guys who who had the resources through the LaRouche research libraries to get in and find all this, this information out. Anyway, um, like, so the Quattro Coronati is beginning what's called the surveys of the Holy Land. And this is where Zionism begins. Um, Palmerston, the, uh, the uh, prime minister, huge Freemason, of course, you know, he says in 1840, he goes, you know what? Now is the time for the Jews to return to the homeland. Now is the time. Um, the, the Jews haven't a clue what he's talking about. They, they don't mean like there's a famous uh, Jewish scholar. He goes, All right, what? like this was news to us. What is this Anglican prime minister of England telling us now we have to leave Europe where we're comfortable and head back into this desert region, which none of us even have any connection to. The, the whole thing was artificial. They had to create Zionism. They had to create it. It wasn't something, it wasn't a political force inside the, the Jews of Europe. They created it because they were going to eventually, you know, re, like basically reverse the first century where, you know, they were going to move the Jews out of Europe back to uh, Israel, which they were going to recreate. And then they were going to punish uh, the, uh, the Gentiles for the first century war by slaughtering the Germans. Anyway, so the, 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 um, the, the Quattro Coronati starts the process with these surveys because they don't really know much about the Holy Land. I mean, even though they, they're obsessed with it, you know, and they, they have to have uh, the Jews move back to it, they don't really know where it is, in fact, you know, in, in a real sense. So they start doing surveys. Um, the British army then moves into the area, uh, has, has, begins alliances with the Ottomans, you know, to say, we want to set up these bases. The Rothschilds buy the Suez Canal. You know, inch by inch, um, British domination of the region starts to, appear, and then they um, begin to create a Zionism 
at first just by hiring uh, people to go to the uh, rabbinical communities and say, you know, we got to get Zionism going again. We've got a lot of money for it. Uh, you know, help us with this. this was 1860, 1870. And then they, <clears throat> they hire Herzl, Theodore Herzl, who's a, an employee, basically, um, to really, you know, gin the thing up and organize it. And then the next thing you know, you've got the rabbinical councils and whatnot. And, and lo and behold, the Jews of Europe start to emigrate into Palestine, which you know, as we look at today, you can see um, this was uh, an idea that had a lot of blood associated with it. Um, but nevertheless, you know, this is this is this is the these are the details which are not hidden. They just require you know the populations to have the energy to to go into these things, Freeman, because this is how all of history will stop being inexplicable, right? You know, it's sort of like the origin of Christianity is inexplicable. I wrote Caesar's Messiah, you know, the Shakespearean literature. Well, what, what does it mean? You know, I wrote, I wrote Shakespeare's Secret Messiah. I try to like render these structures of literature and history just so they make sense. That's all I'm doing. I'm just saying, look, there's a way you can look at this stuff and it's actually coherent. You look at the, the, um, the so-called, the, the invasion of Israel, Freeman, they're going to invade Israel with the army they have and the Air Force with yeah. tractors and hang gliders, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, is that... No is one that, would do that. No one. Does that track logically? No. This is insane. This is, a, this is a pretext for genocide. That's all they're doing. And then you have the, these stories about babies on bayonets and they've mm -hmm. captured these poor <clears throat> rave dancers. I mean, again... It makes no sense as a historical event. It's not even, but it makes perfect sense as a Chuck Norris movie. Propaganda. Which is what it is. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I okay, so here I am, right? I've been doing this 20 years, and I've been talking about it yeah. for 30, right? You have. You have uh, and so here I, 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 I'm cluing in on different signs and symbols, Freemasonic folks, that I follow into this story. And I've had Google alerts on my Gmail <laughs> since Gmail was created for these three topics, which really just blows my mind that they all came together just last Friday the 13th. Um, I've been talking about the symbolism of 1013, which, of course, is the day they, they burnt the Templars and was the day uh, Jacques you know, de Molay uh, cried out for the Freemasons to, for revenge. But... Uh, so the, the Catholics on 1013, the, the king and the pope take out the Templars on 1013, 1307. And so I continued to track that 1013. It was interesting just to break one other 1013 story. And I, I forgot until just now. Uh, I was on Jack Blood show on 1013. And we were doing a mock alien invasion show, kind of a war of the worlds, right? <laughs> And so, you know, I, I was on as the UFO expert and we were we were playing it up. But all of a sudden we started getting phone calls from New York and over the Masonic Temple in New York City were all these UFOs. And all of a sudden here are Jack and I doing this War of the Worlds thing. And then it became real because there was a prediction of uh, a UFO flap for 1013 that year. 
And so that's why we were doing the show as we were. But then all of a sudden we started getting in real calls and these people at the Masonic Temple in New York telling us, oh, my God, it's real, guys. It's happening. You know, this really. And then there were all the videos and everything. But that was another weird 10, 13. Yeah, event. I, I, you know, incidentally, I think that was also the date Notre Dame burned. They they set the cathedral on fire because that's where Dumoulin was burned. On, on ah, I, that, yeah, so, I'd have to go look. Yeah, that would yeah, be another. They, they, they used the date. I'm not sure, but the date they chose was actually related to the burning of Dumoulin. I guarantee it. Right. I want to get a little, a little bonbon, one of my favorite kind of symbolic number thing. I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, but... It, it's getting around a little bit. It's it's something that you know people who like study you know Bibles and things like me would would know this, but the public doesn't know it. You know why they picked nine one one as the date for the event? I have my theory, but I'd love to hear I'll yours. I'll tell you, it's it's because uh, uh, Tisha above. So there was two dates that um, the temples were destroyed in Jerusalem, and this is nine one one. Now they represent different. I mean, it's. The months, because you're you're not going left to right, are different. But it's nine one one is exactly how you would represent Tish above, right? It is nine one one. Now Tish above is on two occasions was the um, the date that uh, um, you know invaders destroyed the Temple of Jerusalem, which is why it's such a enormous you know commemorative event in the Jewish religion. And then I want to point something out. So you have the three towers that are that go down, right? The two, and then then Building Seven. But look at the name of Building Seven, the Solomon. Solomon, yeah. Right. So you see, so you see that this is the 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 symbolism is artificial. You know, you you're at Tishabov, you're representing Tishabov, and then you have the Solomon building being destroyed. So there it is. You know, yeah. Okay, so yeah, and if you folks don't know, every Masonic temple is based off of Solomon's temple. Right. Uh so on my list of of signs for world war three and i've had these tracked in my google mail for you know 18 years however long gmail's been around <laughs> uh was 10 13 the alaska mosque is one that i've had and and continue to look for because the temple mount is a major player in this masonic narrative that's going on and so then this year this friday the 13th on 10 13 and that's why Friday the 13th is the most unlucky day, guys, because of the death of the Templar. Uh, they called 1013 this year the Alaska Flood and called for a giant jihad on 1013. And so I'm freaking out because all of a sudden my two symbols that I've been talking about over and over became one. And then I've, I've said this over and over on so many programs that... Uh, I believe World War III begins with war with Iran. I have said that since the Gulf War, the reason we didn't attack Iran is because they are controlled by the Russia-China alliance. If we start war with Iran, we start World War III. So I've been saying this all along, and next thing I know, all three of the signs that I've been talking about became a reality on that day. On 10-13, the Alaska Jihad, along with the threats of Hezbollah and the war with Iran, all came together. So I'm sitting back going, oh, my God, guys, this is it. This is it. You know, I've, I've been saying it. I've been listing this. I can't believe 1013 became Alaska Day. I mean, that just blew my mind. And then when they blamed Iran for this whole situation and saying that Hezbollah, and now we've got all of the, the stuff going on. 
uh, this is it. This is the sign that I've been looking for to state that World War III has begun. But of course, it requires first that there is a conflict between the U.S. and Iran. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think this would be, unfortunately, uh, uh, just very likely at this point. Um, the uh, the Iranians have uh, hypersonic missiles, uh, you know, and so um, they could, and I'm sure they have nuclear weapons, so they could definitely. Well, Putin's uh, standing and saying, you know, if we if we go into Iran, if we attack Hezbollah, then it's on. Right then, then of course he. They, I mean, because the Iranians are sharing technology with the Russians, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the Ukrainian war, so they're kind of linked at the hip. So it's almost, uh, you know, kind of geopolitically logical and natural. No, no one would blink an eye or see it would be unusual if they used nuclear weapons in response to an invasion of Iran. Um, if they invade Iran, I mean, in my mind, it's just a question of like, you know, where do you go for, you know. Uh, you know, trying to ride out the storm because obviously you're going to have a, a nuclear weapons exchange at that point. I, I would bet anything that the Iranians would have at, the, at a minimum, you know, 30 or 40 kind of Oppenheimer type um, A-bombs. All, all they need to do is get some plutonium, which God God forbid, I mean, you can, you can almost go to any hospital and steal some, you know, it's, it's like it's not that difficult these days. So, um, and then they could just build the compression. You know, they couldn't get, you know, like a megaton, but they could definitely, with hypersonic missiles, get, you know, 50 of them in there. Yeah, but, but it wouldn't not? even be war with Iran. It'd be war with Russia and China because well, we attacked sure. Iran. That would be the next step because then you'd have the response and then Russia and China and then the whole thing goes up. And that's that would be, um, it would just be an automatic, it would be a chain reaction like something occurs inside of a nuclear bomb. I mean, it would just be mechanical. Right. It just it, it's intended. Happen. I mean, I didn't just pull this out of my ass. Right. Like, oh, no, I know. I'm, I'm I know not saying that I'm saying that to you. I'm just saying to the audience as well, you know, that, that this Iran trigger has always been what I've said, you know, from from day one, like uh, the moment oh, yeah. that we start war with Iran, World War Three will ensue. And it just blows me away that it's all happening on 1013 you know uh, yeah. yeah it's that and and also very predicted yeah you yeah can write out about that for sure well let's uh jump into one last thing before uh unless anything else comes up about any of this but the f-35b the stealth fighter i just i don't want to <laughs> yeah, let that yeah. thing drop just yet i don't want that forgotten i mean we had the china balloon that just like cruised across <laughs> america no problems yeah we'll shoot yeah. it down over south carolina uh, you know, right over my head, right? And then in, in South Carolina, again, we've got this F-35B, which is one of the most sophisticated pieces of junk that the military's ever created. And let's just mention that the F-35B is the only jet in our arsenal that has an autonomous ejection seat. <laughs> All right, guys, it's got an AI ejection seat. Now, what hasn't been said by any news source that I've seen, but from uh, eyewitness accounts and people at the situation, there were two jets. They were flying tandem. All of a sudden, the one jet ejects its pilot. Now, the pilot parachutes down, lands at this farm. The farmers call 911. <laughs> it's it's If you go to YouTube and check out the, the 911 call from the F-35 jet uh, pilot, 
it's it's kind of hilarious in a weird way because it's it's weird too because the pilot he doesn't say anything there i think the the family that found him was hispanic and so they're explaining to the 911 operator that this pilot had just landed in their backyard and she's like, oh, my God, do you need a hospital? Do you need an ambulance? And they're like, we don't know. And so finally, after a few minutes, the pilot speaks up in the background. He's like, hey, uh, actually, I'm a pilot. I was flying a stealth fighter and I, I just parachuted here. And she's like, how far did you fall? And he's like, I don't know, about 6,000 feet. Uh, she's like, oh, well, do you have any uh, severe bleeding or anything? And he says, and this is what I thought was really weird. Do you have any severe bleeding? And he says, I don't know. I can't see myself. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. So here, you know, then the pilot's like, well, we need, uh, you know, I do need assistance. Somebody come out here and, and some, send somebody to find my jet. It's, it's off somewhere. Well, so there's, there's two jets that are flying tandem, the two F 35 B's and one gets ejected. The other pilot says, well, I'm just returning to base. <laughs> and so he just lets the other jet fly off on its own. And then, uh, I mean, this is the story. I mean, this is, you know, you won't, you won't hear about the second jet on the news. I don't know why, but that's what happened. He, he decided to fly back to base and just let the, the autonomous <laughs> stealth fighter take off on its own. Uh, you know, did that thing fly to North Korea? Well, who knows? Because next thing you know they shut down military flights for two days right so now you're thinking wait a minute maybe the whole system got hacked and you know if they put any jets in the air they're just going to get take over now is it china or is it ai right who took over the jet right right we don't know and then uh then the, for two days they have a hotline right for anyone in south carolina if you happen to see our, our missing trillion dollar debt jet flying around would you please call us and then the next day they're like oh actually it, it crashed right where we thought it was it was exactly where it should have been uh here's the the wreckage but you don't even see wreckage in there and, and uh, but you know they had a hotline for us to call in to for their missing jet and yet you know suddenly it's just oh it's right here never mind uh it's the most amazing story i think since uh 911 i mean it's just absolutely spectacular how insane it is um, the F-35 is really just an incredible boondoggle. Um, the American public, oh, gee, we're not uh, very alert, are we? The, the, the price tag for that, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's $1.7 trillion. $1.7 trillion. That's for development and maintenance. $1.7 trillion. Um, they've been trying to get it in operational, and, and I think they got a few of them in Israel, but you know, God knows if they're using them at this point. But it's complete boomdoggle. In 2018, they they actually flew it. Again, it's been it's been flown in public very seldom. But one time they did fly it at some air show in Germany, and there was a radar system that it wasn't associated with any high tech capacity or anything like that. It was just a radar system in some pony field that was looking at conventional aircraft. And they go, oh, yeah, we, we saw it. Here's our records. We could see the F-18 very clearly on our radar. Now, there's a single radar, right, that picked it up and spotted it. Now, now Freeman, think about the integrated air defense systems that the Russian Jews and the Ukraine, right, where hundreds of radars and satellites and drones are all hooked up. 
into a single computer that can see like a basketball being thrown into the air, right? The, the idea that you paid 1.7 trillion and the technology wasn't even viable bef before you got it out, it's just to me, uh, it's just a money laundering scheme. Um, and you've got a bunch of aircraft that have nothing to do with, you know, the modern battlefield. If you got into a, a World War III situation without nukes, the, the, this kind of technology, F-16, F-35, doesn't last an hour because the, uh, the shoot-down stuff is so sophisticated now. It's faster. It can just do better and quicker than a human can inside of a plane. The human is the weak link. You know, you can't turn these things without in keeping human alive, whereas these, you know, the, the anti-plane uh, um, missiles can, you know, they, they can go fast. They can turn. They, they're just relentless. They're going to blow all this stuff up. The, in, in the Ukraine, they had the, um, uh, what, the MiG-29 when the, when the thing started. They all got shot down. And so they talk about, well, the F-16, you know, it's a better plane. It's not. It's the same technology as the MiG-29. You don't use them for, <coughs> excuse me, uh, flying high. They're used as platforms at low levels to launch missiles. You know, they're called shoot and scoot where they, they come at the battlefield, they launch their missiles, and they turn around real quick. They never get up high where they can be spotted and shot down. But, you know, they can do the same thing off of rocket launchers. So, so the planes are just useless at this point. They're not really part of the modern battlefield. So the F-35, you know what I thought? I said, you know, this is, they're, they're probably going to tell people that it was hacked eventually, and that's why, you know, we have to be careful about using it. But the real reason they can't they have to be careful about using it is because it's just stupid, useless technology that's just going to get the pilots shot down if it's ever in a real fight. So the, the one thing that was interesting about all that to me was the AI component. Because, you know, AI, if you look at the stuff that it can do, pretty powerful. You know, I mean, it's write better screenplays than Hollywood can. And, you know, the, you know so I, I don't really know the full extent of it. I, it's, it's outside of my can, but I will say it looks very powerful. And if you turn this stuff loose, if a bunch of just amateur hackers turned it loose on things like the F-35, I'm sure they would occasionally score a hit and knock these things down. So that whole story was just preposterous. And what ha it, to me, it's, it's, it is like a, an example of like the Maui uh, fires, you know, it's just, it's totally inexplicable. And the media just stops the analysis with a bunch of, you know, kind of meaningless cul-de-sacs that don't take you anywhere analytically and don't start the process. And then it, it all comes down to us, you know, it comes down to the independent media. Um, it, the, these stories only have real life anymore if we pick them up and if we do the research. Yep. You know, oftentimes we're wrong, you know, so what? at least we're trying and we're honest and our mistakes are, are honestly revealed when they are mistakes, but we are actually trying to analytically help, you know, people understand events like this, like Maui, like the Israeli, you know, like, like the, like the, uh, the Gaza, you know, Palestinian invasion of Israel, things like this. So this is what we can do, you know, and every one of these episodes, every one of these things, these inex that are, they're given to us as inexplicable. We have to always say, no, we're sorry. It's not inexplicable. I mean, it is inexplicable, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop thinking about it. We're going to stop actually trying to analyze what really happened. 
Let me ask you what it th- what you think about the multiple uh, Joe Bidens. It's uh, big news this week uh, <laughs> that his mask was slipping and he had a bad mask day. He had a uh, who was it? DeSantis that was standing behind him, staring yeah. him down. Uh, like, <laughs> I mean, what do you think about all of this weirdness well, of, of mean, these doubles? I mean, I think- I mean, obviously, some of it's true. I mean, uh, I know that Zelensky has a body double. So if Zelensky can afford one, I'm sure Biden has one. Yeah, body doubles are normal. Yeah, Yeah. so he would have one. Um, As far as, uh, you know, my take on Biden, I think the fact that he's, you know, he's obviously demented, I think this is deliberate. They they picked him for that purpose. That that is his real defining aspect because this is part of how we lose the sense that de- democracy is meaningful you know yeah. you 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 have just you know characters coming in front of us that are not just stupid but demented uh and that's why the geriatric thing you know with like barbara boxer or, or fine or, or feinstein they keep these people around because they are ridiculing the political process with them and they are taking us away from the idea of the the of hoping for a clarity of mind like the founding fathers you know exhibited with their letters and and their discourse you know that that's not available folks forget about the ballot box just listen to your oligarch you know eat your glyphosate food and shut up um so that's that's what i think biden is i mean biden is is an op in in and of himself it's not real i agree yeah 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 it's been the destruction of the moral structure of of America, as I've shown with the Bill Clinton scandal, you know, remember when when an extramarital affair was a scandal? Yeah, <laughs> way back when, yeah, 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 nineteen ninety nine, yeah. And think uh, about that. Think think about how they were able to get into public discourse, oral sex, um, and it would just become a normal thing to talk about. Uh, even though it was wrong and, and, you know, this affair was incorrect. And then they had these insane details about the stains on the dress. The insertion I mean, is of that a something, cigar. Yeah. Is that something that like 12 year olds really need to be writing reports about, you know? So they were just, they were just trying to sexually debase the culture because that's a way of destroying family. I mean, what, what is threatening to them? What do they want to destroy? They want to destroy ethnicity, right? Because that of course is a power. They want to destroy family because it, it, it is a, a power, creates powerful individuals. They want to isolate the individuals into pornography for males, of course, more and more for women as well. And the women uh, who have kids are single moms with the welfare check. You have a completely atomized society, no capacity to organize, no capacity to have any kind of political resistance to the oligarchs. And I mean, that's New York City. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then when everybody gets their chip and they're on their uh, central bank digital currency, you know it's 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 over and done with, guys. That's yeah, it. I mean, it's really, I mean, Huxley, who was a who was a compatriot of of the Rothschilds, I mean, he he pretty well outlined it in Brave New World. You know, you have the classes of of uh, programmed intelligence, you know, with the deltas and the epsilons, and everyone is a sex slave basically. And and if if you have any problems, there's a drug. So that's that's New York City. I mean, that's just uh, kind of what what is what it is at this point, you know. So we we know what they want to do, and there therefore we know how we need to respond. You know, we need to promote family and and uh, respect for our ethnicity and things like this because that's how 
we become powerful again. And we, we can move, if we can combine movements like that with a higher level of skeptical thinking, then, um, you know, we can actually have some democracy. I hear you. Let's quit falling for the show, folks. And as far as uh, spreading love, I'm going to give some love right now to, to producer Steve Mercer for keeping this show going, keeping the ball rolling for us, bringing me great people like Joe. So I always got to give Steve love. And I want to all, of course, thank you guys and hope that you will come along and subscribe to FreemanTV.com. Give me a little support so I can keep going. Because the only way I can keep going is independently, right? There's just no other way. I'm banned every damn where. And then also spread the word. Let people know Freeman TV is still going, you know, because the moment they banned me from YouTube, everybody went, what happened to Freeman? Like, it's still the same yeah, URL. That's right. I mean, for God's sakes, you know, support Freeman. It's just critical. Uh, a really honest and established and clear-minded voice. I mean, it's the... Uh, the antidote to uh, the propaganda. So we got to support you, brother. Thank you. Yes, this is where you'll get an outside perspective, someone who's lived in God and has known how how it all comes together and how magnificent we all are. So that's one of the biggest difference. And you're not going to come here and get your sports analysis where we're saying Team A is going to beat Team B. I'll tell you, Joe, I would love it if the white hat story was real, you know? Uh, who wouldn't love it? Yeah. But uh, QAnon, I hate to say it, it's just a cul-de-sac. Um, you know, you just have to, you have to assume they are thinking about how to control us. They're developing propaganda specifically for the people who inhabit the independent media. Yes. It's there. But so what? We, it, you know, we, we're, we're, it just makes it, um, it just energizes us all the more, you know? No doubt. <laughs> not at all yeah it's just there to keep you flipping the coin man that's all that's all that is uh the moment we start moving on our own that's when it starts to happen so that's why they have to set up the narrative why they have to make all these events that's why nobody's bitching about maui and everybody's bitching about hamas you know yeah. it, it, yeah. they they give you your villains they give you your heroes just as they told you in in their letter uh that this you know they're gonna present to you so yeah i'm not standing behind trump thinking that that's gonna come and save the world and uh you know he hasn't gone back and saved any of those j6ers that are just you know languishing in the in the jail still waiting to be charged right they've been in there three years just waiting absolutely to be charged insane. absolutely insane so tragic yeah it's insane and then uh, owen owen schroyer you know going to jail in, in just a few days and uh even the IRS is coming after him. They, they're trying to take us down, folks. They are trying to shut us up. And the only thing that keeps that going is your support. And so if you come over, freemantv.com, give it a little subscribe. Get over to Joe Atwell. Get to caesarsmessiah.com and get these books because you need this history that outlines and lays out all of the stories so that when all these people are reading Albert Pike's letter, You've got the back history to understand that. Uh, so that's why uh, Joe's work is so important. I mean, Shakespeare's Secret Messiah, all of these to show you how that these uh, systems have been set up in play to bring about where we're at right now. So we are in a script and we can break the script. That's the key. Uh, you know, you got to be willing to lose it all. Give it all up. Don't even worry about it because our future will be so much better uh, without all of this. 
And you know, you I, I, I was just going to say, like, uh, sometimes people don't want to spend the you know money. Fine, um, they can just Google my last name at will and the Tempest, and they can read the analysis of that play, Shakespeare's play, The Tempest, and you can see what the Shakespearean literature really is. Believe me, it's completely clear what the project is. You know what they're doing to us. Just read the analysis. It's very very simple to follow. Or, it's not that simple, but it's, it can be followed, and you'll get a sense. So <clears throat> it's not hidden behind a paywall. Just read it. See for yourself. So search uh, at will. At will, and then the word the tempest. At will the tempest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's really because, you know, one thing that's cool about that is you can see why the owl is the symbol of Bohemian Grove, for example. Right, right. So many of these secrets, guys. And as a matter of fact, you know, the English language came from this. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. The very words we speak. I mean, I don't know how many were produced by the Shakespearean works, but at least 30,000 words of our English language came out of this. And that's what sets how we we associate everything. So, yeah, that invisible college, they got all of that. Yeah, uh, another. Right, well, and I, I hope I hope you don't mind, but my voice is just absolutely gone. I, I told I, I did warn you that I. I could might lose it because I've been uh, struggling with uh, laryngitis for the last. I hear you, Joe, and yeah, that's why uh, I was just getting her done. I'd love to do another two hours with you, but maybe we can do it again real soon. I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you're available, and and, you know, I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing for having me on. Well, thank you, Joe. Yeah, and you are one of my favorite uh, guests and repeated. And I hope everybody will go back and listen to all the programs yeah, that you and I have done. Listen to all of them, right? Every one of them is, is uh, particularly now when seemingly we were so pressing as to where we got to, you know, we go back like, a long way and you can see we're absolutely right about most everything. Yep. So yes. Uh, yeah, please go, go care for yourself. Get some tea, get some rest. Do. Uh, I'm gonna go and, uh, actually, I'm going to go and find a throat lozenge at this point. So thank you so much, Freeman. And we'll talk soon. Okay, brother? You got it. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Good night. Bye. Bye. And one other great way for you guys to support my efforts and get all this data is to get the flash drive. Uh, I recommend this thing because I can't get you all of these videos and, and all of that work. I can't uh, get you all of the free zone shows, but you get that flash drive, 30 gigabytes. And it just has, uh, it's loaded. I can't say it has everything because I've done way too much work to fit into that. But uh, it's got all the best in it and just loaded. I mean, it's definitely a decade worth of information for you. So the flash drive is there on the shop page of freemantv.com. I hope you'll check that out. And, uh, or you can subscribe to rockfin.com slash freemantv and uh, i have a number of those shows there that are free for you to catch up on and then you'll probably want to get more but they're all on the flash drive as well so you can just get the flash drive and have them all for yourself or you can subscribe to rockfin and that puts some money in my crypto wallet but that doesn't translate to money to me to keep the show going i'm just storing everything there for now and eventually we'll get all these videos back out because as i say i'm just so banned everywhere it's ridiculous it's impossible for me to get this all going but man guys i'll tell you what just having this moment where uh 1013 all oscar and iran all came together in in one single form 
And you know what happens when this happens? I go back to all my past work and I try to find the 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 shows where I'm telling you these things, but it's nearly impossible for me to go through all of that. I mean, I even know which shows it's probably on, and yet you know you might find it might not. But I did find a number of ten thirteen shows that were were valid for this, and I'd even forgotten that that one with Jack Blood with the UFOs, but. If you want to get these things from me as they are live and happening, then it is on uh, twitter.com, x.com, slash Freeman TV as well. It's always Freeman TV, guys. You know, that's my Twitter. That's my Rockfin. That's my website. But if you follow me on Twitter, you're going to get all of this data real time as I'm sharing it and, and explaining and, and going through it. So if you want to follow what I'm following, please come over to Twitter or X. I'm never going to call it X. It's going to take me forever. It's still Twitter on my URL. Uh, but yeah, x.com slash Freeman TV to follow me there to get all of the information. I'm talking about the launch to Psyche, uh, the solar eclipse. How, that was kind of bizarre. I kept taking pictures of the eclipse and yet the eclipse doesn't show up in the pictures. I get a whole sun. Of course, there were all kinds of uh, strange anomalies during that eclipse. And so all of that kind of stuff, everything, my thoughts at the moment, things like that, that's all happening on Twitter. Unfortunately, I, I don't have anywhere else to do it, but you know, that's where I've been building. That's where I've been doing it. So that's where I'm going to continue to do it. So I hope you will come over and check it out. But most especially come to freemantv.com. Just scroll around, just check it all out. Scroll way down to the bottom of that front page and, and start from the bottom but get all the videos as well, because that really is where a lot of my work went to. And uh, Yeah, there's lots there for you, and that's all on the flash drive for you, and that really helps support the show. So thank you all so much, and uh, I hope you... <laughs> now I have to say I hope I see you next week, because, uh, man, things are on edge, right? Well, I'll see you next week.